Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to the book of Philemon. Now, the book of Philemon is kind of an interesting word, considering the fact that it's just a few short verses. It's only one chapter. It probably is all contained on one sheet of paper within your Bible. It's not a very long book. It's not a very long letter. But it is power-packed with some great truth, some great answers, some great encouragement that we need in our walk with God. Now, this letter, this letter is actually a personal letter. Unlike most of all of the other writings that we've studied so far, the Apostle Paul writes this letter not to a church. He doesn't write this letter to a a gathering of believers. He doesn't write this letter to a, a generic group of believers, of followers of Christ. He is literally writing this letter to a person and probably his wife and his son. It's a very personal, a very direct letter. It is written in about 61, 62 A.D. Paul is sitting in prison and he hears of something that is going on and he hears of something that that he wants to reach out to this man named Philemon who is a long way removed from where Paul was. Paul was in Rome. Philemon was over in Colossae. And I want to read just a couple of verses here before we jump into the rest of the passage. In verses 1 through 3, the greeting that we normally really don't spend a lot of time in here as we've been reading through some of these passages in the New Testament. But Paul writes this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to uh, of Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that I wanted to read that brief greeting to you today is because it gives us a lot of insight into who the person is that's receiving this letter. Philemon was a very important person. Philemon was a some, a someone that Paul had not had the opportunity yet to connect with, but yet Philemon had actually come to Christ as a result of the ministry of Paul. And so he's writing this letter to Philemon. He's writing it to probably his wife. They, the theologians believe that his wife is mentioned there, that his son is also there. But don't miss what it says immediately following the list of names there. It says, to the church that meets in your home. So in other words, Philemon was a very important, a very uh, influential person in this city. He had opened his home to the church. They were meeting there. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of that home. We know Philemon to be a a wealthy man. He, He had lots of slaves, lots of individuals that worked for him. And so Paul is writing this letter to him for a very deliberate purpose. And that purpose is restoration. And so today what I want to spend some time talking about is this idea that restoration is of God. That the idea of restoration is something that is very important to God. It's very important for people of faith. Because honestly, as followers of Christ, oftentimes we are really good at casting aside people in the midst of our churches, in the midst of the body of Christ who have messed up. We're really good at casting them aside and being done with them and moving on. We are really good, and my dad used to say it this way, that Christians are really good at shooting their own wounded. That we're really good at kind of throwing them to the side, casting them off, being done with them, and not paying any attention to them as we continue to move forward. Yet this entire letter that we're going to spend time studying today is an argument against those types of actions. It's an argument, again, by Paul, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that restoration is something that is vital. It's something that is critical. It is something that is so important in the body of Christ. And so Philemon, this very wealthy, uh, influential, and important man in the city, he had slaves, and this letter was written about one particular slave that he had whose name was Onesimus. 
Onesimus served Philemon. He worked for Philemon, but he ended up probably stealing from Philemon, and then he fled. He took off from there, and he traveled, traveled a long way. He found his way to Rome, and when he arrived in Rome, a place probably that he thought that he could disappear, because when you stole from your master and when you left your master, according to Roman law, Philemon had every reason and every ability and authority to put Onesimus to death for what he had done. And so Onesimus ran to Rome, the, you know, the, the biggest city there, the most important city. He figured probably he can disappear in that city. But while he's there in that city, he somehow becomes connected to the Apostle Paul. And as a result of that, because again, as Paul always did, as was his custom according to God's word, he's always preaching the gospel, Onesimus came to Christ. And that is the context in which this letter is written. That's the context in which Paul had the desire to send this letter, to write this letter, because he wanted to make a case for the restoration of Onesimus. And so as we kind of walk through the rest of this passage, that's kind of like where we're starting from. It's kind of like where we're kind of what we're talking about, what we're focusing on. But just some things that I want to point out as we walk through the rest of the verses in this letter, in this book, in this passage. And the first thing that we've got to understand, we've got to pull out of this is this, is that love is the key to doing what is right. Love is always the key to doing what is right. Look what it says in verses four and following. Paul writes, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all of the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter to Philemon. He's writing this letter to him. He's not yet met him. He knows he's a follower of Christ. He has heard of the great work that Philemon is doing in the city. And as we read that moment, you think about it now, that Philemon receives this letter that's sent all the way from Rome. It travels across the land there, across the sea there, and finally arrives in his home. And he begins to open that letter and reads it. And you've got to admit, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself, right? Because the Apostle Paul was really a big deal back then. He's a big deal now, but he was a big deal then too. And so can you imagine if you were sitting at home one day, and if you go back a few years, back when Billy Graham was alive, if you're sitting at home, you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're kind of doing work within your local church, and, and all of a sudden a letter comes to your door, you go get that letter, you open it up, and it says, you know, this letter is from Billy Graham, and the letter starts with, hey, man, I am so thankful for you and all the great work that you're doing, and I just want you to know I am praying for you. Let's be honest, we would feel pretty good about ourselves, wouldn't we? Like, that would be pretty cool, to get a letter from someone like that. It's a personal letter, not a direct mail piece that, you know, then goes into the next, you know, the next verse, the next statement there, where it says, and by the way, would you send me money so that we can, no, I mean a personal letter that says, like, I've heard about you. I've heard great things about you. I've heard how you love people. I've heard how you minister to people and encourage people. Man, I've heard of all the great things that you're doing. And I just want you to know, like, I am so encouraged. And I'm thanking God every day for the great work that you are doing. Probably Philemon at this point is probably battling a little bit of pride. In these first few lines, these first few sentences of this letter, he's probably sitting there feeling really, really good about himself. But you'll notice in these first few verses, verses 4 through 7, that two times the word love is used. 
Two times Paul points out his love, the, the love that Philemon had. And notice again what it says in verse 5. Because I hear of, of your love for all of the saints. In other words, he said, listen, I'm hearing that you're loving everybody. You're loving the body of Christ. You obviously have opened your home to the church, and so that's a great, great thing. But, man, obviously your love is something that is like, it's encouraging the people of that city. You're doing great stuff. You're loving the way that God told you to love, the way that Jesus said you should love, and I think it's awesome. And then you go down a couple more verses, and he says it this way in verse 7. For I have great joy and encouragement from your, here it is again, from your love. Twice in these few verses here that we just read, he talks about the love that Philemon has. Now, obviously, what Paul is doing is he's setting Philemon up. You get that, right? So first, man, I'm sending a personal letter to you, Philemon. Second, man, I am praying for you every single day. Third, man, I've heard the great things that you're doing. Fourth, man, I've heard of your great love that you're showing to other people. The reason he is writing all of these things is because he knew that Onesimus was a person who deserved, according to the law at that, da- that time, the law of the land at that time, that he deserved to die for what he had done. And so he wanted to make sure that Philemon got the picture, got the understanding here, that it is of God that we treat others right. It is of God that we love all of the saints. It is of God that we are displaying constantly the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. He wanted to make sure that Philemon understood that. Why? Because love is the key to doing the right thing. If you do not love others, you will never be able to accomplish the right things according to God's word. I don't care who you are. I don't care how involved you are. I don't care how active you are in the church. I don't care what a great person you are. I don't care how much you give to missions. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care if you have been in a church from the time that you were born and you were faithful every time the doors that are open. All of those things are important. But if you do not love, you will never be able to accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish. You'll never be able to do the right thing. And so Paul is underscoring the importance of love. And not just the kind of love like loving a friend of mine or loving my family or loving those that we get along with. He's calling into action here when he says for all of the people, he's calling into action that Matthew chapter 22 kind of love. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's calling into action that kind of love that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, where he said that it is required of us that we love our enemies, to love those that we don't like very much, to love those who have harmed us, who have hurt us, to love those who have done us wrong, who have criticized us, who've complained about us, who've talked about us, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, Paul writes here, like we have to love everybody. Why? Because love is the key to doing the right thing. When you see in this passage, these first few statements here in verses four through seven, like, man, I'm so encouraged because I hear how you're loving everybody, how you're loving people, you're loving all the saints, and man, you're doing the great stuff there. Man, I'm praying for you and the participation and all that God is doing. Man, I've got great joy and encouragement from your love. And then look what it says now. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We will not be able to refresh the hearts of others or encourage the hearts of others or help the hearts of others if we do not love. Love is the key to doing what is right. And Onesimus was afraid. He was scared to death. Now, notice and understand that this letter that Paul writes 
he writes this letter and he seals it and he hands it to a guy named Tychicus. And along with this letter, he also gives him the letter to the Colossians, to the church at Colossae. And he hands it to Tychicus and Onesimus, who is there, who is like listening to Paul and growing in his faith with Paul. And he says, oh, Onesimus, I want you to go with Tychicus to deliver this letter. So the letter that is going to Philemon is going to be delivered in part by the guy that deserved to be killed by Philemon. And so Philemon starts with this, man, I'm so encouraged. I'm praying for you. I've heard of your love. I've heard of how you love everybody. I've heard of how their hearts have been refreshed by you. So he's setting them up. Why? Because restoration requires grace. Now, you know what grace is, right? Grace is undeserved favor. Like you do not deserve it, but yet God grants it anyway. So look what it says in verses five, or verses eight and following. In verses eight and following, it says this. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love, I, Paul, as an elderly man and now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. Now, I can kind of picture this, and I don't believe, it's not in the scriptures here, so I'm not sure I'm, I'm accurate here, but I can kind of see Onesimus, who's traveling along with Tychicus, and they arrive there at the house of Philemon, and they're there, and Tychicus has the letter in his hand, and he's walking over to the front door, and he knocks on the door. I can just see, like if the door is here, and the side of the house is here, I can see Onesimus kind of hanging out over here behind the shrubs. Can't you? Like, I can see him like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and, and I'm doing what Paul told me to do, but, you know, I'm going to hang out over here. Like, I, I'm going to hide back over here, because I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Why? Because he deserved to die. He deserved to be killed according to the law of the land. So Tychicus is over here. He's knocking on the door, and Philemon comes to the door. And then Tychicus says, hey, I have a letter here for you from Rome, which was a big deal, from the Apostle Paul, which was a bigger deal, and I want to deliver this to you. Would you take the time to read it? And I can imagine that Tychicus, when he handed that letter over, that right in that moment, like Paul, like, I mean, Philemon digs into the letter and he opens it up and he starts reading it. And man, his, his head is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I can't believe Paul sent a person directly to my house to bring me this letter to tell me how great I am and to tell me like how he's praying for me and how he thinks I'm awesome and I'm helping people and I love people and I'm, I'm blessing their heart. This is incredible. And then it comes to this next verse. I could tell you to do this. I could command you to do this. But I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to appeal to you as a person, a good person, a person who loves Christ, for my brother Onesimus. All of a sudden, the tenor of the conversation probably changed. And I can just see it. Again, I don't have any theological basis for saying this. I'm just kind of imagining in my mind that if I were Onesimus, I would be hiding over there. And I can see Tychicus after it comes to that part in the letter where he probably says, Onesimus, come here. And Onesimus is probably over behind the shrub and he slowly walks out behind the bushes and he slowly walks over. He's a little scared. He's a little fearful. He's walking slow. He probably walked over behind Tychicus. He probably was hoping that Tychicus would be a barrier between him and Philemon. And what Paul writes in this passage is this, I'm appealing to you for my friend Philemon. I'm from my friend Onesimus, and here's why. Because he became my son 
while he was with me. I became his father. And you know what that means? He didn't adopt him. This was not an adoption thing. This was not like a foster child thing. This was the fact that he had the opportunity of sharing the gospel with Onesimus, who was a thief and who was a liar and who was running from the law. He was running from what he deserved. He was running from his sin. And he had the opportunity of sharing the gospel with him. And he came to know Jesus Christ in that moment. And it's so Paul is saying, I became his father in, in the body of Christ in this moment because I led him to the Lord. Now, I know he was useless to you, Philemon. I know he had no use to you whatsoever, and you deserve to kill him, but now he's useful not only to you, but to me too. So Paul is making the case. Like this guy that you are mad at, this guy that has harmed you, that has hurt you, that, that you're angry at, that you want to kill, yet that guy, now he's changed. He's a new person. All the old has passed away and everything has been made new. Ephesians chapter two, he was once dead, but now he has been made alive. He is a new creation. And he's also useful to me. Now, when he said that statement, useful to me, what he was really saying is this, is he is useful to the body of Christ. He's appealing that Philemon would not kill him as he deserved to be killed. He was appealing to Philemon, like, give this guy grace. Now, that picture that I just shared with you, that story that I just shared with you, is a story that could apply to every single one of us in this room and to our lives. Every single one of us were in the same place that Onesimus was in. Romans chapter 3, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We have blown it. We are losers. We have messed up. God, we deserve not connection to God. We deserve separation from God. We deserve to eternally separate from Him. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the wages of our sin is death, spiritual death, spiritual separation. And so we're hiding over there behind the shrubs. But what's really cool is over here at the door. Jesus has granted us grace, unmerited favor. And while we deserve to die, Jesus restored us. And it comes to the picture of grace. And so that's what this letter really is kind of underscoring. It's kind of like accentuating, like pointing out, like like don't miss this. Onesimus deserved to die. But Paul, who is a representative of the body of Christ, a representative of the word of of God, a representative of Jesus Christ, and he says, listen, but that's not what God desires. What God desires is restoration. Which brings us to kind of the, the, the final thought that Paul gives us in this letter. And that's this, is that God never gives up on anyone. He never gives up on any of us. Look what it says in this passage in verse 15. In verse 15, it says this, for perhaps this is why he, Onesimus, was separated you from a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but now more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ since I am confident of your obedience. I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so Paul says this, listen, welcome him, accept him, receive him. 
and receive him not as a slave who's there to go back to work. Receive him as a dearly loved brother in the body of Christ. And if you have anything against him, I'll pay it. And isn't that exactly what Jesus has said for each and every one of us in this room? Paid in full. You see, that's the picture that Paul wants to write in this letter. That's what he wanted Philemon sitting over here at the door to understand. It didn't take him very long to read that letter. It's a very short letter. He read it pretty quickly. He went through that first part, kind of talking about how he's doing the right stuff. He goes to the second part where Paul says, but listen, I I could make you do this, but I'm just going to ask you, because I believe that you want to do the right thing. Accept this brother. Restore this brother. Give to him what he does not deserve. And if there's anything else that I've forgotten, I will take care of it. Don't charge it to him. Put it on my account. You can't help but when you read that passage and you read that statement to understand, to dig into just the great truth that God gives to us in this letter to one person, his wife, and his son, that that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. But it's also a picture of how we must treat others. It's a picture of how restoration must not just be something that we enjoy with God. It must be something that we extend to others. That we extend that grace when it's not deserved because you are never more like Christ when you are extending grace to a person who does not deserve it. And isn't God's word full of passages that tell us that our responsibility is to be more like him? Isn't that our job. You see, that is what God expects from you and me. So absolutely, restoration is of God. Absolutely, love is the key to doing the right thing. Absolutely, restoration requires grace. And absolutely, God will never give up on anyone. And I am so glad that's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you that when we do not deserve grace, God, you give it freely. That when we do not deserve your love, God, that you give it to us lavishly according to your word. God, that when we deserve to be separated from you, that God, you are so quick to to wrap your arms around and pull us in. And so, God, I pray that as you do that for us, that we would learn how to do that for others. God, I pray that we would be a people who understand what restoration looks like, that we would be a people that recognize the importance of extending to others the grace that has been extended to us. And, Father, I pray that you would help us by doing so, that we would continue to grow closer to you and be more like you. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment our altar will be open. Our team is gathering here. And as they do, as we have the opportunity of standing in a moment and singing together, this altar is going to be open. And I just encourage you, if you're here today and that grace that we've just talked about being extended, that is not deserved, if you've never come to the place in your life where you've received, accepted 
that unmerited favor of God to give you the gift of salvation when you did not deserve it, which, by the way, is true of all of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23 tells us that while the wages of our sin is death, spiritual death, spiritual separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That while Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, that he was raised from the dead, verse 13, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved today, maybe you need to experience that grace that God gives. And so in a moment when we stand and we sing together, I'm just going to encourage you, if you want to meet Christ today, to just make your way down to the front. Our team is here. Man, we'd love to talk with you. And if you're sitting there saying like, well, I, you know, I'm kind of nervous about who I talk to. Man, we got people from all walks of life down here. We've got young and we got not so young. And we got ladies and we've got men. And whatever it might be, like, we want to share with you this incredible message. Because restoration starts with receiving that gift of grace that only God can give. And so I encourage you today that if you've never met Christ, to make your way down to the front, let one of us talk with you today. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and pray for a situation where restoration is needed. Maybe you want to pray. Maybe you're the one that has been harmed or you're the one that has done the harming. And maybe you just need to get before God and pray about that. This altar's open. Maybe you want to come and join our church or come for baptism, whatever it is. As we stand and as we sing, let God lead you to make the decision that he wants you to make in this moment. So let's stand together. Scott's going to lead us in the song. And remember, it's all about Christ. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. today we thank you for the restoration for the grace for the hope that you give God I pray that as we walk out from this place today that we will walk out of here today knowing God that we are your beloved children that while we had messed up and while we deserve to be separated from you God you have welcomed us in as a dearly beloved son as a dearly beloved daughter in the kingdom of God so, Father, I pray that we would walk out of here today and to point people to you, to talk about this incredible gift that comes through Jesus Christ. And, Lord, for that, 
for the opportunities that you're going to put in our way this week. God, we thank you. Let us be faithful and loving the way you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, let me, before you leave, our altar remains open. Don't forget our Operation Christmas Child boxes need to come back this week. And also on Wednesday at 1030, I encourage you to watch the convocation uh, service over at Liberty University. It starts at 1030. We have Kay Arthur coming to speak, and it's her 88th birthday, and she's going to come and teach the Word of God. And I'm going to watch it because I'm going to be encouraged. Like it, I hope at 88 I can do the same thing. And so I encourage you to watch it. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.